Hello and welcome to Country Stride, the podcast dedicated to the landscapes, people and heritage of Cumbria and the Lake District. I'm at the top end of Dentdale today in the far easternmost corner of Cumbria and I'm in the company of Walker, illustrator and our guide for today's walk, Mark Richards. Hello, Mark. <laughs> Hello, David. It's been a, probably a month since we were last together. Uh, it was drizzly that day and there was promise of it today, but the sun is shining today, so everything promises well. It does, and any excuse to come out to Dentdale, take it. What a, what a fabulous valley it is. Yeah, this is a crossover valley, sort of in Cumbria and sort of in Yorkshire, so I think this is a wonderful uh, marriage. It is, yeah, this is Dale's country really, isn't it? Now, we're here in Dentdale today, Mark, because it's uh, a special birthday year for one of the UK's great walking trails. Give us a brief introduction to why we're here and who we're going to be meeting. Well, it is indeed a special year. 50 years ago, just over, uh, Colin Speakman and his wife, Fleur, got to work on creating a journey that represents the Yorkshire Dales in one magical journey. It's almost a south to north route like the Pennine Way in a sense, but this one sticks to the valley, uh, which is representative of the Dales, the Yorkshire Dales, but it actually comes over the threshold into Cumbria and ends at Bonas on Windermere. We will go and meet the main man himself celebrating this fantastic 50 year anniversary for the Dales Way, Colin Speakman. Well, it's great to meet you, Colin. You're a man of the Dales. Well, not quite. I say it very quietly. I was born in Lancashire, but came to Yorkshire in my teens, to Leeds University, and fell in love with the county. and started walking quite seriously with my wife. and been walking for the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, something awful. <laughs> <laughs> but you, you're a great campaigner and somebody who is genuinely committed to the outdoors and, and, and it's reflected in many things you've done over the years. Yeah, well, I was a member of the Ramblers Association and I got campaigning for access and rights of way and it's out of the campaign for rights of way that we decided to link all the rights of way we did have together and improve them and call it the Dales Way. So I've been involved with it a long time. So it actually, unlike many routes where people come up and they see a lovely landscape, they think, oh, we'll have a journey through that landscape. In your case, you were actually trying to Make a statement about well, the importance of paths. A bit of both. And what we wanted to do is connect where we lived in uh, urban West Yorkshire, in, in Leeds in my case, and my good colleague, Tom Wilcock in Bradford, to actually connect our towns up with the Yorkshire Dales National Park. And we could do it along the River Wharf. And a lot of the places along the riverside had a beautiful footpath, but some places didn't. Ah. So the idea was to kind of create new bits of path and connect it up. And yeah, then we came up with the name The Dales Way magic. But you had a little bit of resistance initially. Some landowners were a bit t- tentative. Oh, when we had some venture scouts who wanted to uh, pioneer the route for us, they actually had a legal injunction against them walking over a certain little bit of land. 
Sad yes. to report, we've never had that in part of the Dales Way, but the alternative, to be honest, on the tops is even better. Yes. So it's evolved as the Dales Way over the years. The initial hostility melted away ah, because, of course, yes. we now have landowners and farmers benefiting from the Dales Way. Yes. Um, a few years ago, I had a phone call from a farmer saying, you know, the Dales Way goes through my farm. What are you going to do about it? So I was very nervous about it and said, oh, maybe we can divert it. He said, lad, you'll do no such thing. We're offering bed and breakfast and tea, so when you write that book of yours, will you make sure you mention us? <laughs> the <laughs> and, transformation in yeah. farming. And we now know, uh, for example, one little pub in the Dales, something like a thousand people a year stay overnight there uh, doing the Dales Way, so we're really helping the local economy. A thousand? Which pub is this? It's the George Inn in Hubberhome at the top end of Wharfdale. Beautiful little medieval pub which is doing very well it's a lonely spot in many ways travelers don't come naturally through there in their cars but they do it when they're walking what's the overall journey it's an 80 mile journey hmm. well it starts along with on one river the river wharf which is a gloriously beautiful river through ilkley bolton abbey grassington and we followed it right to the source then when you end that walk, you end in the middle of nowhere on top of Camp Fell. So we thought, well, let's carry on. Let's continue down the uh, beautiful valley. We're going to explore in a few minutes the Dee Valley, Dendale. And then on the Loondale, right to the boundary. So the idea of walking across the dales. But when we got to Loon Bridge, mm -hmm. um, the Crook of Loon Bridge, right at the top of uh, Loondale on the boundary of the Old West Riding, we looked across and saw some hills of the Lake District. And we thought, well, stupid to end a walk here. Yes. <laughs> Let's continue it another 15, 20 miles or so to England's greatest lake, Windermere. Fabulous. And that's how the concept came. Interesting. Talking of Crookaloon Bridge, I went over that bridge a, a week ago and I couldn't believe how narrow it was. And I knew it was narrow when I scraped the side of my car. <laughs> <laughs> Very scenic spot. <laughs> well, a lesson there, I should walk, not uh, drive. But, uh, there you are. There's you usually do, Mark, I know yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, but it's, it's a fabulous journey, yeah. uh, and, and it's got a purpose. And you cross a, a Cam Moor, because you're crossing the Pennine Way, aren't you? Correct, point? and there's a lovely point where the Pennine Way and the Dales Way cross. And then, of course, you drop down across another boundary into Cumbria. Imagine. Although, we have to be a bit careful here, because it's still Yorkshire, oh. Yorkshire Dales, but, you know, it can be in Cumbria as well. So we sometimes talk about the Cumbrian Dales and the Westmoreland Dales, but um, definitely still that great Yorkshire heritage. The driving force is Yorkshire. That's the measure of the journey. Uh, but today's journey itself, where are we going today? Well, we're starting at the highest uh, railway station on the main line in England, Dent Station in Cumbria, of course, and we shall join the Dalesway in a few moments. And then, lovely, lovely walk down one of my favourite dales. Mm. And I particularly love Dent Dale because of its associations with one individual, um, the, the great scientist and geologist Adam Sedgwick, who, of course, was born in Dent. Right. Professor Sedgwick, yeah. I've studied his work and his life, and he's one of the most remarkable human beings and wrote a brilliant book about life in this dale uh, in the 18th century. And it's a kind of wonderful, wonderful insight into the change of rural England at the time of the Industrial Revolution. So a very precious document. Absolutely. So, sacred territories, Sacred territories. He reflected, in a sense, like we were covering John Ruskin in our last mm -hmm. episode, a, a sort of a polymath, somebody who had a, a broad perspective on things. Absolutely. He was a, a great geologist. In fact, he's described as one of the world's greatest field geologists. Mm -hmm. 
discovered the Cambrian system and described the Dent Fault. But also a brilliant teacher and taught uh, Charles Darwin, amongst many others. Also one of the first great uh, teachers to introduce women to uh, university lectures in, in Cambridge. And, of course, he was a great personality. He could write. He was a great friend of William Wordsworth, and Wordsworth and Adam Sedgwick used to walk the Cumbrian Fells. And his letters to Wordsworth on the Jollage of the Lake District are great classics, and they're still there. If you buy a copy of Wordsworth's Guide to the Lakes, you can read Professor Sedgwick's study of the Jollage of the Lakes, and, indeed, of, um, um, of the Yorkshire Dales. Fabulous. I'm just reflecting on the situation we are here. Off by, you mentioned about the station marshal's house. Think well, about it's a it. wild place. The line's very often closed in the winter months, even in the time of global warming. Mm-hmm. And it's so bleak and blasted by gales that even in the 1870s they decided enough was enough. And when they built the wonderful station master's house here, rather, still a rather grand house, it was the first in, in the British Isles to have double glazing uh, to save on, on coal, of course, trying to keep the place warm. How fabulous. Oh, well, we'll put our double steps together and head off down the dale then. It's a fabulous outlook we've got here, Colin, right at the beginning of the walk as we come out of the station. And on a day like today, which is is a breeze and dappled fell sides, but you've got a great perspective on what Dentdale's all about. And I can look up to my left up and see the upper part of the valley where the Dales Way comes from Cam, uh, where it crosses from Ribble Head, and you can see um, Lee Moor over there. And just over topping the hill next to the right, uh, directly ahead of us, we can see Wernside. And further on, more directly down the valley, you're looking to Gregareth with the sun on it and uh, Crag Hill. Hill, And further on round, Calf Top on the Middleton Fells. That's the other side of the Dent Fault, which is quite interesting because geologically that's in in the Lake District. You're looking at the ancient Silurian rocks of the lakes, as opposed to the slightly younger Carboniferous limestones and gritstones of the Yorkshire Dales. So it's a kind of division. Dendale's quite different from most of the Yorkshire Dales, and it goes right back to when the valley was settled in sort of um, early medieval times, because this is a typical Viking settlement, and I'm told by one or two experts that the field patterns and the settlements is much more likely of the kind that you find in Scandinavia and even in Iceland. So there's only one largest settlement in the whole of the valley, and that's Dent, Dent Town, as you must call it. Mm-hmm. Um, everywhere else is small, either hamlets or just scattered farms, and they're very long and narrow. And every yeoman farmer, it was a very democratic kind of system here, that everybody owned their own land at one time. It's all changed now, of course. Mm-hmm. And as well as a farm, you owned a narrow strip of bottom land and a narrow strip of fell. And you can see these long, linear fields going right up the hillside, now marked by little lines of beautiful woodland that we're looking at at the moment. So they're irregular around where the trees are, but they go like a rapier to the yeah. top onto the rise and hill. And then you're onto the common land, which they all shared in common. So they were more like the statesmen of Cumbria that William Wordsworth described, so that they were a kind of democratic tradition, which is still very strong in this valley. You know, they're very democratic, independent people in this part of, uh, of, of Yorkshire and Cumbria. Very much like Troutbeck under Wandsfell, where you've got that statesman's farms, a string development, where they had a, a bit of valley land and That's common right, land. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. the common land didn't get enclosed until when, would you think? Oh, the 18th century. Um, And Adam Sedgwick, who I'm sure we'll be talking about later on, talks about what happened at the time of enclosure and the poverty it caused some Mm. of the small landowner farmers and the the huge changes that took place in the valley in the late 18th and the early 
19th century. Well, the town of Dent was three times as big as it is now Gosh. at the end of the 18th century. So the point you touched on there, Colin, about the enclosures, how did they come about? Well, it was really a question of uh, increasing the efficiency of agriculture, which was desperately necessary as a growing population. And of course, industrial society was also producing more wealth and mm-hmm. more money around, and a lot of trade, particularly overseas trade. And this part of the world, of course, dare I say it, slave trade through Lancaster. And, and you know, there was a lot more money around. Mm-hmm. And so Parliament passed a series of enclosure acts, well, just about most rural communities, really to allow landowners to use the land much more efficiently to produce more food, more crops, mm-hmm. to feed the growing population. So it was necessary. But the people who lost out were the small farmers and the small commoners who could no longer graze a couple of cows and a couple of pigs or whatever on the common land. Which was often referred to as waste. That's right, yeah. yeah I mean, there were still the tops, which were still, were still to this day remain common land. But it was a kind of in-by land. A lot of that was enclosed from being former common people lost their livelihoods so there was there was increased poverty mm-hmm. and uh, that was accelerated of course by the the loss of the second form of income which was knitting but that's ah. another story yeah when they lost their livelihoods these walls were given as a sort of a way of giving them employment a bit. yeah but the, the, the very walls that were excluding them they were actually paid to to put up for <sighs> Absolutely tiny amount of money, probably equivalent of a shilling or something, a, a yard. <laughs> but it, um, there were miles and miles of them. You can see them extending over the fells, but that was at least provided some degree of work for the yes. people who were who had lost. Um, but it was a it was a tough time. There's a lovely description of this dale by an 18th century agricultural economist mm-hmm. who came up to the area and took one look at this view we're looking at from here, and talked about Dendale at the end of the 18th century as being a kind of terrestrial paradise. Mm. One of the most beautiful places on earth he'd ever seen and he put this in his official rather dry report. Mm -hmm. So at that time it really was a kind of golden period but then it was all rapidly changing and even today you know you can see what was and what now is because obviously it's a very very different economy in the area and a very different kind of valley but you know in a way we're looking at the kind of ghosts uh, of a former way of uh, uh, ways of life which are still there and okay the people may live there now maybe prosperous commuters or second homeowners and there's still a few farmers but nothing like the number you know but you look at the landscape and it still has the remains of that quite remarkable period so in a way we're looking at a historic cultural landscape image of the past that is so important for us because it's where we all came from because most of us have a rural past, don't we? we? Do. A rural story. Go back, you know, yes. three, four generations yes, and we came do. from places like Dendale. Lovely to come to this corner here, a little junction. There's a lovely signpost. Yorkshire WR, West Riding, Coogill, or as I would have called it until you told me, Colin, you know, Cowgill. <laughs> well, it's Coogill locally, maybe. Uh, it's got a number <laughs> underneath. I wonder what that number is. I think that's a grid reference, isn't it? Um, <laughs> this was part of the old historic West Riding. Right. And if you talk to any older people here, um, they will say, now then, lad, I'm a Yorkshireman. Mm-hmm. I'm not really Cumbrian. Van <laughs> <No. laughs> So it's a very sensitive issue. Yeah. And uh, Dent. Yorkshire is now one Yorkshire. We're going to be independent quite soon. Oh, well, absolutely. Yeah. Affiliated Scotland to break <laughs> away from these terrible Southrons that are kind of ruining everything. But uh, and we'll invite the Cumbrians to join us. Oh, of course. Very, <laughs> yeah. very generous of you. Now next to us here is a sign saying "Free Range Eggs for Sale." There you are. And we're looking into a field with wildflowers in. And although we are in in the first week in August, there's a lovely diversity of wildflowers there 
it's, uh, it's, it's quite a rare sight, really. Very special feature of the Orchard Ales. Um, something like 90% now of ancient hay meadows in England have gone. Mm. And the last 3% you'll find in the North Pennines and in the Yorkshire Dales and very few other places besides, particularly Swaledale, um, Top and Wensleydale, Teesdale, of course, and places like this. And they are very, very precious because of the rich biodiversity. And another national park is now encouraging farmers and landowners wonderful scheme in Wensleydale at the moment to keep these ancient meadows you know the cranes bill we can see here yes. and the uh, hawksweed and uh, red clover eggs even. yeah yeah and of course the wildlife is support you know insect life insects butterflies yeah. um, birds maybe post-Brexit this might be even more important in terms of conserving biodiversity in, in protected landscapes like the dales very few areas very precious areas and we, we've got to look after them mm, genuinely we'll plod a little bit further That's a solid gate there, Colin. What a beautifully maintained churchyard. This is Cougill Chapel, St John the Baptist. It's got quite a history. Uh, it goes right back to the distressing years of poverty in the early 19th century, where the Church of England felt it had to help people and bring them back to the true faith by mm -hmm. uh, building a little chapel in outlying places like uh, Cougill. Uh, they duly did it in the sort of mid-19th century, but there was a bit of local controversy because oh, yes. they named the chapel something quite different. They uh -huh. didn't use the name Kugel. And Professor Adam Sedgwick, who at that time was a very learned person who kept in touch with his Dale, was outraged when he heard. And the local trustees of the chapel met together uh -huh. and decided they had to do something about it. And they were told that there was no legal way they could get the old name back. So right. Adam was so incensed that he wrote a pamphlet about it and added to it several amazing appendices which yeah. talked about his life in Dentdale when he was a lad, uh, i.e. 1790s, and how everything was changing with the Industrial Revolution coming and uh, the you know, closure of wards and all the rest of it. Mm -hmm. And this, in fact, is now one of the most amazingly beautiful human documents of life as it was in rural Yorkshire, deep Yorkshire, at the end of the 18th century. By happy chance... A lady-in-waiting, um, who knew Professor Sedgwick, lent her copy to Queen Victoria. Queen Victoria was utterly thrilled by it and summoned Lord Palmerston and asked Palmerston what could be done to get the old name back. He, he was the Prime Minister He was the time. Prime right. And he turned around and said, Madam, it would require an Act of Parliament. So Victoria said, we will have an Act of Parliament. <laughs> There's so, democracy for you. <laughs> so the Kugil Chapel Act 1871 was duly passed and this lovely chapel got its old name and Sedgwick was so thrilled he wrote another pamphlet called the Supplement to the Memorial by the Trustees of Kugel Chapel which has got more hilariously wonderful stories of life in Dentdale, the people, the characters, uh, the landslips, dialect which is a wonderful, wonderful record and they have been republished and you can get hold of copies quite easily these days. Right. So it's, uh, it's a but, remarkable uh, story how yeah. the influence of somebody like uh, Adam could reverberate because he felt so rooted here but he was respected on a national That's scale right. of things. Which is why uh, they put a great memorial for him in Dent uh, Village. But here we've got a, a, a lovely spire and what's that? Is it cockerel on the top there? It's a little weather vane, isn't it? It is a weather vane. Uh, Diamond lights to, to the windows. It's, it's a charming little spot, but it's got a national connection with Queen Victoria. Yeah. How marvellous. And well done, mm. Adam Sedgwick. And a special place for me, because it's the only place I ever gave a sermon. I was invited to do so when I published a biography of Adam Sedgwick in... Uh, 1988, and um, it was a rather nice duty, actually, right. to talk about Adam and the place that was so precious to him. 
just come by the, the wall. It's got a plaque saying 1928. So there's this, this retaining wall beside the River Dee. It's obviously built then. It's interesting it's been painted up. And beside it is a white house. And behind that is a, an unpainted house. And they've both got distinct chimneys. Yeah, well, it's a good example, actually, of... Uh, it's obviously been rebuilt, but it's a little vernacular cottage at the back there. And looking at the chimney which is built on the outside of the house that's a good indication that this was a pre-Tudor building and originally there just be a hole in the roof for the smoke to go out as happened in medieval times Quite. but by the 16th century they realized this wasn't a good thing caused a lot of fires and so they invented with ovens as well going with it yeah. um, a uh, system of having the flues on the outside of the house and you see old houses like this with the outside chimney and probably in that chimney there will be an old beehive oven for baking. Right. So it's a lovely example. It, Almost certainly been changed now, but, you know, it's still there as a kind of relic of a, a past. In fact, you can just see there's a little modern stove there now, so yeah, it not be the great log fire that would have been there in uh, something like 1520 or whatever. And they used to have ranges as well, didn't they? It's set into, like, right. Oh, yeah, well. that would be a later period. That would be Victorian times, Victorian. you know. But, now, but, but you were stuff. mentioning somebody called Raven. Uh, Raven Franklin, yeah. He was a remarkable man. I was lucky enough to know him because he was a county councillor for a time in, in Cumbria. And when he lost his council seat, he stayed on the National Park as a nominated member. So he was an amazing guy in all sorts of ways. But he not only was a major landowner in Ravenstonedale and Dentdale, but he was passionate about conserving old buildings. Mm -hmm. And I remember I would often see him walking down the dale, uh, a figure on a roof putting slates back. <laughs> and it wouldn't be just some old joiner or a contractor, it would be the landowner himself, <laughs> Raven Franklin. He was absolutely amazing man, a wonderful, wonderful knowledge. And uh, I think a lot of people, a lot of your listeners might uh, know his name. We follow the road down the valley rather than the actual Dales Way because we really wanted to get to somewhere a little bit special, a little bit of industry in the valley, uh, the Dent Brewery. Coyly sighted just on a side track off the road so you wouldn't know it was here. Well, I'm, I'm with George and Lorna, the brewer and uh, chief assistant at the Dent Brewery. What do you try to achieve here? So I got into brewing probably around about eight years ago into uh, professional brewing mm -hmm. what's what we want to do it's just a, a lifestyle change really it's, it's more about the fact that you're creating a product and it's something unique every time and mm -hmm. you get to try different things and experiment some things obviously go better than others mm -hmm. we're, we're very much regional we're in a bit of a funny place region wise because we're located within cumbria but we're actually in the yorkshire dales national park so we've got our foot in each camp really not a bad thing to yeah. now lorna you've got this special brew coming out now you're starting yeah. brewing tomorrow, I gather. Yeah, we've just got um, everything into the grist box now, ready to go in the morning. What's the brew called? Yeah, so we've decided to call it a Dale's Way IPA. Yeah, we just thought it'd be a nice homage to the way, and it brings you know a lot of people past us. Yeah, and yeah. it's uh, obviously the 50th anniversary, Ooh. so anything we can do to be involved in that and help is uh, is really good. Very positive, and because yeah. we've got Colin here, who's the sort of the Godfather. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> of the yeah. Dale's Way. Started in 1969, yeah. yeah. 1969, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah uh, do you uh, partake? Dent Bitter and Dent Aviator, yeah. one or two yeah. others, are yeah. amongst <laughs> my very favourite beers anywhere. But I usually have to come to Cumbria and to Dent Dale in particular to find them. Right. Now, how many brews do you produce there, George? 
Um, we've got our core range of Aviator Golden Fleece. There are two best sellers. Uh, then Ramsbottom, which is a very traditional chestnut English ale. Tau Tup uh, is a stout, which is also uh, very popular. That's one of the very first brews that was ever produced here. So that's a bit of Cumbrian dialect there for your, your best ram, is your Tau Tup. And so on average, we do between two and three brews a week. If we're really busy, then we'll do five brews a week and we do about 40 casks a brew. Coming off the road, you would never know you were here, which really is lovely. Yeah. Very, very remote. We're not on mains water or anything like that, so we're still using our old spring, the old Victorian spring at the top of the hill. So there's no main drainage, so we have a reed bed to process all of our waste. Um, we're really disconnected. Although we're Dent Brewery, Dent's actually three miles down the road. Mm -hmm. So nothing but sheep for company, really. Tremendous to see you, George and Lorna. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for your time. Well, Colin, we branched off the road. It's a lovely view from here. Uh, you can see up towards Crag Hill and Gregareth beyond. Uh, and over to our right, you can see Wernside Manor. Now, there's a bit of a story there. Yeah, indeed. It was uh, originally built in the uh, early 19th century by the Sill family, who made the money out of slaves. And local legend is they brought one of the slaves back and the slave escaped and may well have, you know, stayed and intermarried with people in Dentdale. And there's an interesting school of thought that suggests that Heathcliff in Emily Bronte's Wuthering Heights may have been inspired by a small, slightly brown-looking boy that was seen in Dentdale. Of course, there's that, that newspaper advert. Yeah, well, that gives substance to the story. There was an advert uh, from the Sill family about an escaped slave. So there must be some evidence in the story. But whether or not he was the inspiration for Heathcliff, who knows? Mm, it's intriguing. And uh, what's Wernside Manor now? Well, for a time, it was a national caving centre. Sadly, it had to close, I think, in the late 80s. Mm -hmm. And for a time, it was a, a bed and breakfast. Uh, and I think now it's a, just a private house. Right, yes. Because the limestone here is significant, and the caves and the subterranean area, the, the Orchardale's three peaks are famous for that, and we're on the edge of it here. Yeah, well, in, in Dentdale itself, a, a number of splendid caves, but uh, the kind of cave, I'm afraid, you need to be pretty professional and pretty expert mm. to even think about. The limestone itself is significant in Dendale. There's what I understand is black marble. Can you explain that one, Colin? Yeah, well, um, if marble has a certain amount of uh, impurity carbon in it, it comes down to lovely black colour, which doesn't look brilliant when you pass it on a, on a fell walk. But if you polish it and oh, carve yes. it up, then the white... Um, Fossils Flex. inside emerge and produce the most beautiful and quite exciting patterns. Mm. This was very, very popular in the 19th century for decorative purposes. Things like mantelpieces and fireplaces and even kind of marble columns you could have in your rather grand house. Mm. Um, and at the very top end of this valley, there are the remains under Art and Gill Viaduct, some old marble works. Wow, I've been there. Which yes. were, were driven by water power from the stream. Right. And, the subtle um, colour goes over it, yeah? That's right. And there's a, a pretty reliable story that says in the 1830s a young man was on his uh, honeymoon, a walking holiday, of course, in Dendale, and he and his wife came down Art and Gill and they looked at the marble works and looked at the uh, little paddle wheel that was driving the, the, the mill to grind the stone. And this guy said, I can do better than that. I'm sure it's very inefficient. And sat down and probably spoiled his honeymoon by writing lots of notes. Mm -hmm. And out of those thoughts came the world's first turbine. Because the guy was William Armstrong, uh, later of Armstrong, uh, with Armstrong Sidley, the great uh, manufacturer of iron. And, of course, the owner of Cragside House in uh, near Newcastle. Oh, yes, so from small yes. things in Dentdale, huge things came.
a lovely riverside stretch. I think the Dales Way has got so much to go for as a it's sort of introduction to walking yeah. in itself, a long-distance route. That's right. It was Britain's first low-level long-distance route, basically a riverside route, and rivers are beautiful places to walk alongside. We're beside the River Dee here. The Dee, for those who probably know about place names, like the Dee in North Wales and other references to the use of the Dee uh, up in Scotland, uh, Dundee. It's dark. Uh, it doesn't just mean peaty water. It means brown trout. Celtic word because river names tend to be the ones that last longer than the uh, immigration, the Anglo-Saxons coming in and the Vikings and so on. But anyway, we'll get back to the meat and matter of today's walk. Colin, you are the father of the Dales Way. Can you tell me what was your thinking? Well, originally it was to join up all the um, bits of footpath that existed on the definitive map when it was finally prepared with new links of riverside access uh, to make a continuous path that people could use rather than isolated chunks of footpath. And it worked. And the way we went about it, we knew we'd wait till well, 20, 30 years if we waited upon the countryside um, commission as it was in those days to do anything. So we took the law in our own hands and produced a guidebook. The same way Wainwright did a couple of years later, we were ahead of Wainwright, <laughs> uh, get people walking it, prove there's a need, and, we, and sure enough, the politicians would follow. It's quite interesting, the Yorkshire Dales, initially there was hostility, bringing even more people into the park to wear away the paths was the attitude, and they wouldn't even sign it. Things all changed in front of mouth in 2001, 2002, when no visitors came and the economy of the Dales collapsed completely. And then suddenly we had a special meeting where we invited all the people providing bed and breakfast on the Dales Way to come along to a meeting to restore and revive the Dales Way. And amongst the woes that came were the National Park. And ever since then, the Yorkshire Dales National Park and the Lake District and Bradford Council have been huge supporters of the Dales Way. Can't do enough for us, supporters in all sorts of ways. So in a way, we've proved a point. This is the people's path. People created the Dales Way, not the bureaucrats. The bureaucrats came behind us and are now doing a great job. But had it not been for some of us who believed in the Dales Way and went out and walked it and wrote about it, we wouldn't be standing here now, Mark. No, and indeed, you mentioned the people's path, uh, the initiative coming from grassroots. Do you think this uh, applies elsewhere? Uh, the influence of people like Tom Stevenson, for example, who you knew. Yeah, yeah. Well, well, Tom, again, was a great campaigner and uh, his idea was the Penang Way. But, of course, he became a position of some influence in government and then he became the Secretary of the Ramblers, so I suppose he's more of a bureaucrat, you might argue. A, he he but, straddled um, both fronts yeah. in a But you do find that, you know, in particularly in recent years, increasingly government and local authorities, think of the Coast Path, for example, is very much a political idea. Hadrian's Wall Path mm. came from... Um, World Heritage status, and one idea behind the World Heritage was to stop people walking on the wall. <laughs> on top of uh, physical in, in items. Words, the Hadrian's Wall Path deliberately keeps people away from destroying uh, the, the monument, so it can work both ways. Uh, there's been a tremendous proliferation of trails, mm. and the Ordnance Survey map is annotated to excessive amounts, to my mind. Uh, certain routes, like the Pennon Way, of course, the Dales Way, are are bedrock routes. There's so many other routes that are probably shouldn't really be on the maps. Yeah, they'll come and go. And if, if nobody wants them, nobody uses them, they'll disappear. And I can think of a few, won't name them, that have disappeared or are disappearing. 
Um, and it's no bad thing, actually. If you've got plenty of paths, you don't get them overused. I remember way back in the 60s when we just had a few, people were talking about the Pennine Way being overused. Mm. And there was a thing called the Lightweight Walk everybody walked. Oh, yeah, I did that. And that, that. Was, <laughs> that was about 100 metres wide and quite, you know, and thank goodness. Although we'd have in the Yorkshire Dales uh, a bit of an eco-disaster called the Three Peaks. Oh, God. When every charity in England that. now raises money by taking huge parties and it's costing a huge amount of money and causing massive disruption in places like Horton and Ribblesdale. So it's not always a good thing where paths run and uh, how they're used. Problem with challenge routes that people like to do them and increasingly, of course, they use them to raise money for charities, which is absolutely wonderful. But you sometimes think if people are hating what they're doing, suffering pain to raise money could put them off for walking for life. And the real trouble is you get very, very heavy use of certain routes which are causing massive ecological damage and disruption to local communities. It's a lovely pastoral section there. We're coming down to Bridge End. There's a little cottage here uh, with the farm buildings behind it. Has this got any relevance? Well, it's been rebuilt and restored over the years, but it's still recognisably the same place that was the knitting school for, um, for Dentdale. And what this was about, very simply, is that as soon as you could walk, I guess, you know, children would come here to learn the famous art of knitting. Ooh. Because everybody, but everybody from children to granddads, yep. knitted. Whatever they were doing, whether it was housework or schoolwork, or looking after the sheep, while you were doing that, you were knitting. Don't waste time. And you produced gloves, and you produced hats, and you produced socks, and they were taken by pack pony each week to Kendall Market, and provided, you know, a lot of the clothing, not just for, uh, for Kendall area, but the whole of England. Wow. And it was a huge business. So brilliant with the knitters and so why did their reputation spread they were known for years as the terrible knitters of dent terrible <laughs> meaning terribly fast and yes. in fact there's a folk song by a well-known folk singer it started something like the terrible knitters of dent their fingers are gnarled and are bent <laughs> <laughs> and this is from where they went indeed <laughs> it really helped people who were otherwise on a subsistence income to earn a bit more money. People mm. would talk about their knitting brass, you know, and that would buy for luxuries like the occasional uh, cup of coffee or whatever they had in those days. <laughs> yeah. um, and people would sit on bal in balconies in places like Dent, and you can still <laughs> see the remains of them, and chat to each other across the balcony as they were knitting. And there were also quite a lot of knitting songs. So as you knitted, oh. you, you sang. There's <laughs> a rhythm to uh, it. There's a whole kind of culture of knitting. And of course, as soon as the factories started opening up in Kendall and in the West Riding, it killed it almost overnight. And Absolutely. a lot of poverty and destitution. But for many, many years, knitting was the, a way of life, but also the way that this valley sustained itself. So we're coming down past the cottage, Bridge End, crossing the bridge over Deepdale Beck. And uh, for the remainder of our walk down to Dent, will accompany Deepdale Beck. Well, we're coming to the confluence of the Deepdale Beck with actually the Dee, the uh, Concordia of two little rivers. Deepdale Beck here is lined with trees and like a hedge and great diversity of wildflowers and the butterflies that are dancing on them today. It's absolutely idyllic and they the breeze is going through the leaves in a most balming way. We've just met a lady walking from the village up to the station, loving it to bits. And um, 
Have you had any feedback over the years on what people feel about walking the trail? Oh, very much so. In fact, we now have a huge file at the Dalesway Association of letters and uh, emails from people from all over the world, the USA, from Canada, from Australia, from Germany, Holland, um, saying how much it has meant to them. Very often it's the first proper walking experience they've ever had. And they buy the book, do the walk, and they converted them. From then on, they're walking other trails, coast to coast, um, Welsh Highland Way or whatever. But constantly they go back. And often I find people do it again and again. And they give you their memories of what it was like, often very touching with their husband or wife that sadly may no longer be with them, but how much it meant to them to be together. And often they're re-walking it, you know, to relive those memories. Um, it's quite amazing, actually, what it has meant to so many people. Some people say it's actually changed their lives, that they became walkers and fell in love with the countryside and the Dales because of that first experience. And I must say, that's probably the most rewarding thing that's ever come out of uh, creating the Dales Way, those reactions from people that have really felt in the same way that uh, I and others felt uh, way back in 1969. And I have to think in terms of you as the father of the Dales Way, Colin, there must be parts of it that are very close to your heart. Well, let's start with Dendales, we're here. Nothing quite as lovely, I think, as that walk down into Dentdale and places like we are now. The whole length of it is absolutely magic. Other parts I particularly love, I always love going through Bolton Abbey Woods. I love the bit, high-level bit, from Grassington over to... Um, uh, Buckden when you, you, you're literally following the line of the, of the fells before dropping down into Kettlewell Loon Valley as well you're only walkers you ever see up there are Dales Way walkers mm. and finally I think one of the great moments is when you come over between Staveley and Windermere and you climb up School uh, Knot, near School Knot near Grandsire and you look across and for the first time you see the huge 36 degree panorama of the Lakeland Fells oh. and that is a very very magic moment when you've walked all the way say from Ilkley or or even from Leeds, Bradford or Harrogate. Yeah, well, we're just approaching Dent Church Bridge at the moment, and uh, oh, yes. lovely view straight ahead of the, uh, I must call it Dent Town. I mustn't call it a village, it's Dent Town. <laughs> and the lovely black cloth of hills and trees. Dent is in an absolutely perfect setting. I think it's one of the most beautiful villages in the Yorkshire Dales and in Cumbria. Uh, very special <laughs> yes, although it has got an affinity with Yorkshire because I think I detect a flag on the church tower which is blue wow. with a white rose in so that might just be a little bit of a, a Yorkshire thing as well as a Cumbrian thing yeah. but yeah very special and the lovely thing about Dent is how little it's changed it's actually much smaller than it was a couple of hundred years ago but full of character. So we're just a few minutes walk away, and uh, when you walk in the Dales Way, this is one of the great oasis on the Dales Way. Everybody has to stop in Dent and enjoy everything it has to offer. A lot of history, a lot of beauty, and some, very good, and some very good beer. <laughs> oh, well, we'll test that in a minute. Now, we do this trick to our guests every now and then. We ask them a few quick-fire questions, such as, what would be your favourite lake in the Lake District? Good question. I think Derwent Water grabs it because it's so full of wonderful romantic associations with Ruskin and various others. And we're going there as a kid and a teenager and every time I go back I think, how can anywhere be quite as beautiful as Derwent Water? Understandably. Have you got a favourite town or village for the county, Cumbria? Well, yeah, I think we're walking into it. <laughs> well, again, because it combines the best of both both the things in, in both counties, isn't it? Very mm. beautiful, very precious. Definitely belonging, looking two ways. Are there any animals you particularly love? Uh, well, red squirrels, when we do see them. Um, deer. Um, 
I would like to think, actually, in a century or so time, that one of the beasts that should be around here comes back, and that's the wolf. Oh, right, um, yes. Because not very far from here was the last place in England, now in Cumbria, um, where the last wolf was shot. Now, was this Wild Boar Fell? Wild Boar Fell. Wasn't that Tom Simpson's favourite fell? It was indeed. He once told me that uh, of all the Pennines, the one hill he really loved was Wild Boar, Wild Boar Fell. Fell. And he did, used to do the circular walk around, even well into his 80s, which takes some climbing, actually. That's quite something, no, no. that. Tom was a significant man, and yeah. you were influenced by him, well, weren't very you? very much so, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I knew him quite well. He was in his 70s and 80s when I knew him, but uh, he was incredibly energetic. And, and, a, very, and a very lively mind. Yeah, yeah. And um, have your first memory of walking? I think I was two and a half, something like that, at the time, when my dad was in the RAF at uh, Halton Camp in Buckinghamshire. Oh, and yes. I remember walking through a field and saying in a loud voice, I'm walking on a path now. Ah. And I've been doing that ever since. So that was my very first memory, I guess, 70-something years ago. Yes. But, uh, if you were to decide between the lakes and the Pennines, what would your preference be? Well, it would always be the Yorkshire Dales. <laughs> Not that I don't love the lakes, I think the lakes are fabulous, so the North York Moors and the peaks, but I think the Dales is very, very close to my heart. Maybe because I've spent so much of my life here and been influenced by it and shaped by it. And What we should be gunning for is the north of England, of course. And what's your favourite fell? Well, I think we named it Wild Boar Fell. Mm. And it's absolutely wonderful hill, and Tom was absolutely right. My favourite walking, perfect walking day, is to get the train to Gar- on Settle Carlisle to Garsdale, mm. to get off that train and walk along that great ridge over Bow Fell and on to Top Two, and then over Wild Boar Fell, and then right down into Kirby Stephen. It's about a 13-mile walk. Plenty of time to do it. Nice pint in the pub near Kirby Stephen and uh, you're back on the train to uh, West Yorkshire. So you've defined two things in one. I was going to ask you what's your favourite walk, but you've actually described it and uh, I can fully appreciate that. Uh, I think you're right on the nail and you've been a wonderful guest to us. But I don't know if we've quite finished because I wanted to have a stand by the uh, monument in the village. Well, we're coming into Dent itself, right into the middle of the village, and it's absolutely delight. The, the cobbling on the road is quite distinctive and um, antiquated, archaic, what you might say, but it's traffic calming. Always a car coming through now, listen, and they can't go fast. There we go. And is, is that why it's like it? Do you think? Well, it's just that Dendale was the last place on earth, you know, and they never got round to tarmacking it. it. Until, of course, it reached a stage when people said, oh, let's keep it, it's rather nice. Yeah, and so it's a kind of accident, really, that it's kept. And, but, of course, it does make a huge difference to the place. It gives it a real feel for somewhere very special and very different and totally unspoiled. Yeah, the pram being pushed through there that's struggling as well. <laughs> <laughs> so you have to put, pull it backwards <laughs> so it's the nature of it of course now a lot of it's holiday homes and yes. retirement homes and whatever but in the 18th early 19th century it was a hive of activity blacksmith shops and, uh, and tailor shops candle makers you name the trade it was in Dent town we look behind us you see the church and they got a Yorkshire flag on which day is Yorkshire day uh, August the 1st, we're just a little bit past that, but right. uh, I'm sure my good friend Adam said you would approve. He always claimed to be a proud Yorkshireman. So, uh. And to our right here, beside the, at the corner of the building here, there's a, a, a substantial rock. Can you tell me something about the rock? Well, it's a piece of sharp granite, and oh. it was brought here by the villagers of Dent uh, a few months uh, after Adam Sedgwick died. And it's interesting why they put it here. Uh, they decided 
typical Adam, you know, they wanted something in the middle of the village so they could all see. They didn't even bother saying who he was, because everybody in Dent knew who he was. And it was only later they had actually added his dates. But the idea, it was a water fountain, a symbol of life, a symbol of renewal. They thought that very appropriate to a guy who was the greatest champion of um, Dentdale and of Yorkshire um, that, that ever has been. Um, and the fact he was a world figure, one of the greatest field geologists of all time, who invented the Cambrian series and was a huge influence on Darwin and many others. Uh, was almost secondary to the fact that he did great things for Dentdale. So he matted in this village, this town, I should say, and there's his lovely sharp granite monument part, because he did the great work on the Lake District, probably the greatest geologist of the Lake District there ever was, who unraveled the ancient rocks quite brilliantly. So it's symbol, it's a Lake District bit of granite here to commemorate a great Yorkshireman. We've been hugely honoured to have your company. You are the father of the Dales Way, and uh, in 100 years' time, they'll be talking about you. I don't think I'll get a statue like this, though, will I? What, what kind of rock will oh, they do one of you? It had to be limestone. Ah, oh, there yeah, we yeah. are. Well, across the way is a Georgian dragon, and although it's not finished brewing, the Dales Way bitter, we'll go and see what there is. journey's end and we've just exited for a brief moment the Georgian Dragon pub in Dent where we were enjoying a pint of uh, of your ale mark this time around <laughs> they're the Fell Ranger. It's a special treat I must admit that I've been off alcohol for over two years now and I had to bite my tongue not to drink it because it looked really scrummy. Yes it's true yeah, it was very good Dent Dale Fell Ranger ale sounds rather nice. Anyway, a, a lovely day out, but you can't go wrong in Dentdale, can you, Mark? It would be a horrible day weather-wise to spoil it. Seems like a slower pace of life, doesn't it, here? Even in many of the Lake District valleys, it's gently spoken. But the heritage is so, so well-maintained, isn't it? The walls beautifully rebuilt through the years, the hedges layered, all of that. The landscape is looked after. There's somebody here who cares, and it's a place you would want to keep coming back to. So there's a rather touching moment earlier on in the walk when we were uh, by the river side and we passed a young lady who was walking along the river and we introduced Colin to her and she was delighted, wasn't she? She wanted to shake his hands because she knew exactly who he was and the wonderful Dale's way. And I think if, if there was something that summed up today's walk for me and, and, you know, what the Dale's way means to people, that was a rather touching moment. Yeah, he described it as the people's path I think it's my premier route of the long-distance paths. And do, of course, do you really think that? You think I think so. It's up there with the, with the, it's, top, up with, it's up there with the Cotswold Way, which was, my, which was my first one I did a guide to way back when. Well, there we go. That's uh, some accolade from Mark Richards, who's walked many of this country's great trails. You're, you're putting it up there in your top one or two. That's, uh, that's quite something. Most routes vary. They've got a bit of dud. Wainwright's coast to coast, you go across the Vale of Mowbray yeah, and you think, what's life all absolutely, about? But yeah. here you're consistently in good scenery. Yeah, and you sort right. of end with a great razzmatazz of the Lake District before yeah. you. And you could actually continue. You could go, you could go up to Oresthead and then yeah, on to Troutbeck yeah. and to Ambleside and link up with the Cumbria Way or whatever you like and mm. finish at Keswick if you like or go all the way to Carlisle mm -hmm. or, or something or go to the coast. 
But it doesn't have to end at Bowness on Windermere. That's just the structure of the Dales Way. Yeah, there's that thing, isn't there? Where do trails end? It's always a bit of a kind of arbitrary thing. That great debate about the Pennine Way, where Wainwright always thought it should end at the end of the Pennines. <laughs> uh, but of course, Tom Stevenson loved Cheviot and wanted it to carry on into Scotland. And mm. um, Why not? But, but, Indeed. but why am? Why not? And it, does the landscape tell you it should end somewhere? It's, it's, it's kind of... It's, a, it's, it's, it's always it's, arbitrary. It's arbitrary. And in fact, when Wainwright did his Coast to Coast, he was trying to tell you, go out and create your own yeah, journeys. We are back to the lakes yes. in next Country Stride. Yes, we're... We're, we're going to take somebody a little bit younger than Colin. Uh, he's got youthful energy beyond his years, as you were. But uh, we're taking young Amy Bray for a walk, and uh, that will be really exciting. She loves the fells and loves the environment, and I think it's her passion for the environment we want to explore. I think she'll be our youngest guest so far by about 50 years. <laughs> yes, so it's probably very unfair on some of our... <laughs> Very youthful guests, <laughs> yeah. won't it be? But... Yeah, Amy's only 16, but boy, 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 what an enthusiastic young lady. We'll be being left far behind, I'm sure. <laughs> um, right, so that's then. Uh, some uh, housekeeping, as always. You can download any of our past episodes at www.countrystride.co.uk. We have expanded where you can listen to Country Stride. Not only are we now on iTunes, we are also on Acast and some others as well, I think, Mark. Oh, here we are. Yes, <laughs> you're asking me. <laughs> right, yeah, OK. Uh, well, we are. The, the links are on the, the website. Oh, there we are. <laughs> and please do uh, get in touch anytime. We are on social media. Oh, at Country Stride 1. At Country Stride 1 on Twitter and Facebook. Please do get in touch and we look forward to you joining us for the next Country Stride. From now, from Dent Town, see ya. Cheers. <laughs>